भद्रम कर्णेसृनुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षजत्रा स्थिरंगुवागम सस्तनो व्यशेम देवितयु स्वस्ती न इंद्रो वृद्धस्रवा स्वस्ती न पूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्तीर्णस्ताक्षुरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ती नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओ शांत शांति हरि मे बी हियर विथ योर इयर्स वॉट इज ऑस्पेशियस मे बी सी विथ योर आईज वॉट इज ऑस्पेशियस वाइल प्रेइंग विथ स्टेडी लिम्स मे बी अटेन द लाइफ स्पैन अलॉटेड टू अस मे इंद्र बेस्ट ऑफ वेल बिंग ऑन अस मे पुशन द गॉड ऑफ द अर्थ हु इज ऑल नोइंग बेस्ट ऑफ वेल बिंग ऑन अस मे गरूड़ the destroyer of evil best of well being on us may brihaspati also best of well being on us om shanti 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 so in the last class we had a revision that is synopsis of the first chapter of the third part of mundaka upanishad and as we have already mentioned that now we will enter into the very last chapter the concluding chapter of mundaka upanishad which happens to be the second chapter of the third part of mundaka upanishad so before entering it in the last class we studied the nine mantras of the previous chapter and we left out the last mantra of the previous chapter the 10th mantra why we left out because it actually serves as an introduction to the concluding chapter of mundaka upanishad so we will start with the 10th mantra of the first chapter of the third part of mundaka upanishad so what it is saying here it is actually this mantra is used as an eulogy arthavada that you will find that the upanishad is just like a mother just the way the mother for motivating the child to do the correct thing she will be adopting various means sometimes she will be just instructing and when she finds the instruction is not working sometimes she will be warning admonishing and sometimes she will be luring just in the form of some that she may mention that i may give you some gift if you do this if you do that so it's a way of luring that's not harmful that the luring is good because through that the mother is motivating the child to do something which is worthwhile so here the upanishad is also like the mother upanishad matrisama so we will find that it is again and again trying to inspire us induce within us that motivation by which we all try to attain the highest good in life and that is the liberation from the dualities of this sensuous pleasure of existence so the last mantra is used is known as arthavada eulogy what it is that's we will find that though the main trait of the upanishad is to speak of is to highlight the knowledge of brahman here we find as if it is be deviating it is actually speaking of some worldly gains so that's the thing which is meant by eulogy arthavada just the way the mother lures the child to make the child do the correct thing here also the upanishad is as if it's not actually luring is as if luring us to a way of life which we we may be lured by something else but we will find that we have gained something much greater 
And that's why this 10th mantra, though it may apparently we may feel that it is as if out of context as per the Upanishad is concerned, but it do have a significance. It do have a role to play within the Upanishad by motivating us to do the thing which can give us the ultimate fulfillment in life. So what's that mantra? The 10th mantra of the first chapter of the third part of Mundakupanishad, Yang Yang Lokam Manasa Sangvibhati Vishuddha Sattvah Kamayate Yangscha Kaman Tang Tang Lokam Jayate Tangcha Kaman Tasmat Atmagyam Hi Archayet Bhuti Kamaha So here it speaks of the fulfillment of desires. That if you have the desire to attain particular world, approach an enlightened being, the one who has realized, one who is being liberated, one who has cut through the mesh of the ignorance of a jnana and is an enlightened being, approach him and ask as a boon and it will be granted. Once he says tathastu, once he says, let it be done, it is going to be done. As we see, even in the Bible, that's how Jesus is bringing the crowd together. If anyone is having leprosy, he's curing, the disease is being cured, the death is being revived, all those speaks of the material gains. But that's, that's the way the public throngs around him. And then from them, he chooses the one who are capable of uh, understanding, of understanding as well as of adopting in their life the sublime truths of life. And with them we find, then he's proceeding to give the Sermon of the Mount. He's going to the Mount where he, they are, his disciples are being secluded from the general public and there he is giving the gist of his teaching. So here also we find the same type of Arthavada. He is speaking of as if material again, but it has some other intention. Yang yang lokang manasa sangvibhati. So whatever world a man envisages in his mind and whatever desire he cherishes, the world he conquers and those desires he obtains. Vishuddha sattvam kamayate yangscha kaman, whatever he desires. Tang tang lokang jayate tangcha kaman. So he has the capacity, the man of realization. If he has any desire, it is bound to be fulfilled. If he has the desire to attain certain loka, certain plane of existence, it is bound to be fulfilled. So he has the capacity to fulfill his own desires as well as the desires of others. So therefore, this mantra, the last phrase, what it is instructing, tasmat, therefore, atmagyang hi archayet bhuti kama. If you have to worship anyone, worship the atmagya, the one who is the knower of the self. So therefore, let everyone who wants prosperity, worship the man who knows the self. So it is eulogy. Why it is eulogy? Because a man of realization cannot have any desires. So that itself is an apparent contradiction. It is by renouncing the desires he went to that realization. So how come the question of attainment of the various locus, the desire for the attainment of the various locus for himself comes? It cannot be. Even the one who is supposed to approach him has, should have the minimum qualification in the form of renunciation, discrimination. And that speaks of detachment. Even such a person who is approaching a man of realization is not supposed to have those desires. So that way, this mantra is an eulogy. It has some apparent as if contradiction. But if he desires, it is being said it is being fulfilled. Is it a false statement? No. That again is true. He cannot desire. He in no way can desire 
But if he desires, that is bound to be fulfilled. There's Satya Sankalpa. What's the uh, psychology behind it? Or that how? What's the principle? What's the modus operandi? How it operates? That a man of realization desires something, it is bound to be fulfilled. To understand that in a very simple way, we can take an example with Sri Ramakrishna is citing in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna again and again, in his gospel. What is that? That the ultimate reality is like an infinite ocean. And our ego is just like a pot. In, the, in an ocean where there is no boundary, the water is non-local. You cannot localize the water. It is just everywhere. You just immerse a pot, the water enters into the pot, the same ocean water, a part of it, a small part of it enters into the pot. And now there is a, as if a boundary. We say the pot water, the water which is entered into the water, it is the pot water, which is separated from the ocean water, the same water. What has separated? This pot. Now, a very interesting thing, once that pot is like that ego boundary, because of the ego, the consciousness gets localized, the consciousness which is non-local. I start feeling, I am, I am, I am this limited psychophysical existence. So it has got localized. Why? Because the, a pot called the ego comes as the barrier between the ocean and between the water inside the pot between the conscious and the non-local consciousness and the localized consciousness. The ego comes as a barrier. Now what happens once the, the more the ego is strong, the more the layer of the pot wall is thick, the more the chance is there that the turbulence of the ocean cannot disturb the water inside the pot because the barrier is there. If the water, the waves outside, cannot in any way disturb the water inside the pot. That in the same ocean, when the, when the waves we see everywhere and the water in the pot we see, that is still, that is calm. Why? Because the waves in no way can affect the water which is inside the pot because of the barrier. Similarly, that we find in our life, that more the stronger is our ego, the more we will find we cannot relate to others cannot relate to others. We, our sympathy is a duty. We don't sometimes feel it from the bottom of our heart. Why it happens? Because the ego barrier is strong. The more the ego dissolves, the more, just if the pot is made of, a, say, a very thin cloth or a thin leather, though the barrier is there, it is somehow thin. Then we will find that the outside wave is disturbing the inner water because the thin leather layer is being as if it's not that thick that the disturbance don't in any way affect it. It gets affected and the inner water also gets affected. The localized consciousness also gets affected. So the more our ego dissolves, we are bound to become more and more empathetic. You will find that this example which we gave so many times, it, that in the small children for whom the ego is very thin, their ego is diffused, is yet to concrete, is, is concretized as something a local, that I am this body-mind complex, this localized consciousness is yet to happen. Their consciousness is to certain extent diffused. You will find a wonderful thing that they very easily relate, very easily relate to others' emotions. It's a very common thing. The children are playing, one of them fall down, falls down and starts crying, gets a bit, bit gets, gets hurt and starts crying. It's a very common phenomenon. You'll find all the children starts crying. 
in the plan if one child starts crying if other children are there it's very common you have almost probably have noticed all chorusly will start crying why it happens very easily they relate to the others emotions because their ego is still diffused the more we grow older and our ego gets concretized now sympathy becomes a duty it's not in any more an empathy empathy means we really feel the others emotions as if it's my own that doesn't happen so that's one of the thing when the ego with the spiritual growth when the ego dissolves the world affects me that's why when someone is to walk on the grass sri ramakrishna used to feel as if someone is trampling over his chest he will uh, if you read his life even in the gospel is mentioning one day two fishermen were quarreling on the bank of the ganges sri ramakrishna was observing from a distance and they got so excited suddenly they came to blows one slapped on the back of the other on the one of the fishermen slapped on the back of the other fisherman and sri ramakrishna shouted in pain his nephew riday came and saw that the back has really become red as if someone has slapped him we sometimes don't realize that is it possible we think as if these are all there's uh some uh, again there's a type of eulogy we have glorified as if the life of ramakrishna it's not glorification it has really happened we cannot relate because our ego is so strong that it never happens to us what never happens to us what we never feel we can never relate but in the life of ramakrishna we find that they become extremely sympathetic because the outside wave is easily disturbing the inner wave because the pot layer has become very thin the ego is no more concretized it is diffused and not only that they grow in sympathy that's one thing and the other thing if there is a turbulence within that also can be easily related to the outside to the ocean if you can create some turmoil within because as the ego barrier is very thin it can be transmitted outside so out of sympathy when they really wish something it has its effect in the others mind because mind is one because of our strong ego we cannot relate to the other mind actually we are all the part of the cosmic mind the more the ego barrier becomes rarefied the more our wish our resolutions can really affect others because there is only one mind mind is non local consciousness is non local mind is non local and now you will understand when the sri ramakrishna says someone that your such and such desire be fulfilled it is fulfilled now the question comes again that though we started with a discussion that how can a man of realization will be just he knows well that this world is apparent this world has nothing to do with our real purpose of life so why should he be uh, interested in fulfilling others petty desires it is very difficult to understand but the question is a man of realization have no desire nor a spiritual aspirant is supposed to have any desire now the question is that the fulfillment of a desire of a realized soul or praying for the fulfillment of the desire to an illumined soul doesn't arise but the aspirant may not have any desires but to have favorable conditions for his or her spiritual journey one may pray for small favors and we will find that which a realized soul can grant the life of the realized souls of navatara of divine incarnations are the best commentary of this scriptures just apparently that contradiction we will find how nicely has resolved in the life of ramakrishna when narain his father has passed away he 
have no way to sustain the family, his mother, his other, his siblings. And now unless his uh, day-to-day affairs, family affairs is taken care of, how can he really progress spiritually? So finding no way, at last he comes to Ramakrishna, not really for fulfillment of desire to come out of this crisis. He prays that, please pray for me to the Divine Mother that my basic needs are fulfilled so that I can give more attention to my spiritual life. And we find a wonderful thing. That's a story that where Ramakrishna asks Naren to go to the mother and ask for whatever desire he has and it will be fulfilled. Just see a aspirant like Naren cannot have desire. So when he goes to the mother, when he goes to mother, he forgets that he has, he has, he's actually supposed to pray for his basic sustenance. And he starts praying for Vairagya, Jnana, Bhakti, all the spiritual qualities. He forgets, comes back. Ramakrishna reminds him that you went to pray for your basic sustenance. Go back. Thrice he attempts, thrice he forgets. Ramakrishna reprimands him that just you cannot keep your mind focused and just pray. It is not possible because Naren is a highly evolved spiritual being. How can he ask for a small thing? How can one just dig a well by the side of the Ganges? You cannot, when you are in presence of the divine, you just forget your petty needs. And then at last Ramakrishna, when he finds that Naren in no way can pray for himself, he at last prays to the mother by saying that mother, just see that the basic needs of Naren's family is met. And we will find if you read the life of Ramakrishna and Vivekananda, even after the passing away of Vivekananda, the basic sustenance in the Naren's family was met somehow or other. It was from the royal help from the Raja of Khetri or somewhere or other the help do came, which enabled the mother of Narendranath, the, the other siblings of Narendranath to sustain. It was not that they were very rich. So why it happened? That the Naren's condition was something which created a turmoil in Ramakrishna's psyche in the form of empathy, which came out again in the form of prayer. And as the ego barrier is so thin, it's, this any turmoil inside affects outside, any turmoil outside affects inside, because it's after all the one mind. So now you will understand that though this apparent contradiction is there, but they, they do have some spiritual significance. And the same thing we find that whatever Ramakrishna is willing for the welfare of the humankind, that for the unconditional love of humanity, he had a mission. And for that, he knew some of his disciples have to play certain roles. And for that, whatever he is wishing, that came true. Seeing Rakhal, the first president of Ramakrishna order, he told he just that he has the capacity to run a kingdom. Just his mere words became true. As the president, we find how efficiently the, he was handling the affairs of the Ramakrishna order in its format, in its formative stage. Sharat, the another disciple of Ramakrishna, he told, he mentioned that he has the capacity to take weight. One day Ramakrishna sat on his lap and told, oh, just I'm seeing how much weight you can take. He became the first general secretary with a huge responsibility of a formative organization. We find that whatever he's saying, as if the life is getting molded that way. To, for Master Mahashai, he prayed to Mother that give him some power so that he can propagate the ideas which are flowing from here. Here means in, from his life. And he gets the response from the Divine Mother that if there are 18 powers, he 16 powers, Mother is uh, just giving him one part of it. And there is as if conversation is going on, Ramakrishna is asking that just why are you giving only, only one part? 
and then he gets the answer with that the work will be done these conversations are mentioned in the gospel and even aim never thought of writing the gospel he used to keep notes for his own personal purpose after the passing away of ramakrishna when others suggested to bring to just publish those notes in the form of book to print them and publish them we find what a marvelous piece of literature we got from it as if ramakrishna is speaking with us he is going to speak with his devotees through eternity when the moment when you read the gospel as if ramakrishna is directly speaking to you so just see whatever he is praying for is being fulfilled so that's the thing which is being indicated in this mantra that when a man of realization how it happens as his ego barrier has fallen off he very easily can relate with the non local consciousness he can very easily with the cosmic mind of which we all form a part and can easily and can very just spontaneously whatever he wish can effectualize just by the mere wish the the wish is very important just anything happens because of a resolution a huge bodybuilder when he is lifting a weight we think it is the muscles which is lifting the weight no first he has to take a resolution i have to lift the weight that resolution in the form of nervous current comes and enables the muscles to contract to contract this nervous current is just like electric current when they come in touch with the muscles the muscles contract and that enables him to lift the weight so what has actually lifted the weight not the muscles but the resolution but our resolutions are very poor why it's poor we don't have that focus our mind power is very less and that's why we need the nerves it is through the nerves only our resolutions can be converted into action resolution passing through the nerves in the form of nervous current can only uh, what is to stimulate the muscle cells to enable us to do some action but is it possible that without the nerves just by simple will something like remote you can uh, uh, affect the others to do something sri swami vivekananda in raja yoga is giving a very very simple example in those days electricity was yet to be discovered it was in his in the preliminary experiments were going on but he's giving a very nice example he saying a very interesting thing that just see to pass electricity in those days when the electricity was just discovered he knew to pass electricity we need a wire without wire you cannot pass electricity but when there is a thunder thunderbolt in the sky it's nothing but electricity and that comes and strikes the earth where is the wire there is no wire that how come without the wire that swami vivekananda is giving that example that the, the thunderbolt comes and forms an arc and hurt, strikes the earth because the voltage is tremendous it's very high so as if the voltage is very high there is no need of any medium it can simply come and strike the earth an arc is formed similarly a man of realization first the ego barrier has fallen off and second as he has focused all his aspirations for the realization when he was doing his sadhana so his mind became very very powerful it is not distracted it is focused and that powerful mind do have the capacity to act even without any medium for us we need the nerves for converting our resolution to action for them it's not required is something like just remote whatever the wish it is bound to happen because the mind is very strong and there is the two factors the ego is not there the ego is ego fact the ego has fallen off and the mind is of very has a tremendous strength because they have practiced this uh, what do you say vivek vairagya discrimination dispassion and focused all their energy they have channelized them in one direction for the realization of the self that gives the power and that's why when they find something it is not just to mere fulfill the desires of other 
when certain things if fulfilled can help us ultimately to grow spiritually they are there to help us to remove that barrier so that our spiritual journey can be smoothened all the angularities in our spiritual journey can be smoothened so now you will understand that how significant these mantras are yang yang lokan manasa sanvibhati vishuddha sattva kamayate yangscha kaman tang tang lokan jayate so whatever world a man of pure understanding envisages in his mind yang yang lokang manasa sanghivati vishuddha sattva kamayate yangscha kama this vishuddha sattva speaks of that powerful mind vishuddha sattva hurts what the mind in which there is no rajas all restlessness have vanished there is no tamas all shots that when we try to meditate, we go into a deep sleep because my mind is always restless. For the first time, when it goes to a little calmness, it immediately goes to that lethargy. So there's a constant fight going on between rajas, restlessness and tamas. The one who is an adept, who has an adept in meditation, he neither goes to that rajasic state of restlessness, nor to the tamasic state of sloth, stupor, laziness. His mind is always alert, but still. When, we, when my mind gets still, it is not alert. When it is alert, it is restless. So for him, it is alert, but still. That gives the tremendous power of that mind. Vishuddha Sattva. Whatever he now desires, Kamayate, Yangscha Kama. That whatever desires he cherishes, that is bound to be fulfilled. Whatever world he wants to conquer, it is bound to be conquered. So therefore, let everyone who wants prosperity, bhuti kama, bhuti kama means one who wants prosperity, worship the knower of the self. So it is not just, even if you want prosperity and you approach a realized soul, it is going to act a wonder. You will have prosperity, but not at the cost of your spiritual life. There is an example in the life of Ramakrishna on when Ramakrishna asked Upendranath Mukhopadhyaya, he was a poor Brahmin. He was in. He always wanted to be rich. He was extremely poor. And when Ramakrishna asked him, "What do you want?" He told, "I want wealth." And we find that in his later life, after the passing away of Ramakrishna, he did have wealth. But along with the wealth, we find his mind was molded. With all that wealth, we find he was. He opened up so many charities. His house was always open for the sadhus, for the monks. And all the scriptures for that he, his, his main business was the printing press. In very subsidized rate, he's the first person through the Basumati press to print or to translate many of the scriptures and translate them in the uh, local vernacular and print them and publish, publish them, publicize them. So he did great job that way. When Swami Vivekananda came, returned from the West, that all the pamphlets which were printed was from his press. They were freely, he just printed all the pamphlets and it was distributed all around Calcutta. So he did a lot of this humanitarian activities. His mind was totally changed. He was a total different person, person. He amassed a lot of wealth, but at the same time we find his selfishness has gone. When he prayed Ramakrishna for wealth, he was an extremely selfish person. He really wanted wealth so that he can be rich. But we find that when Ramakrishna blessed him, his blessing actually is helping him to grow spiritually because after all it is the blessing of a one who is a realized soul, who can never simply fulfill our wish by which we may go astray. A small child may ask something. The mother may admonish that this, that's the thing I cannot grant you because that will spoil you. So here Ramakrishna, how can just say that I want to be rich and he can make just give him the, uh, fulfill his desire by making him rich? Because it's invariable, it's invariable fact that with the rich, 
suffering is bound to come if we don't know how to use it and there we find that the ramakrishna that his benevolence his that uh, unconditional love for the humanity is working though he is fulfilling his wish but he is also molding his mind so so whatever may be our intention uh, intention whether we have selfishness or not if we have some desires there is no harm in approaching a realized soul and asking for it go and ask shamelessly know it for certain it in no way is going to harm you he knows how to just deal with our desires he may fulfill it at the same time not at the cost of our spiritual welfare he may fulfill if he feels if he feels that fulfillment is not required it will not be fulfilled but there is no harm in going and praying as sri ramakrishna used to say that if you what you say that uh, what you say that a, a small child who has be, who has become orphan what the villagers do in the olden days they will be just searching a very noble person in the village who is a man of integrity they will approach him and tell please take care of this child you become the trustee of this child why because they know they have their conviction he is a good man he is in no way going to exploit or neglect this child once he takes the responsibility the child will be taken care of so and when we are praying to a spiritually illumined soul he is the most integrated person he knows that what our real what uh, our uh, welfare is in what lies our real welfare he knows it well so he can regulate it and just change the course of our life which can gradually give us that ultimate fulfillment so when the upanishad though it is extolling eulogizing eulogizing by saying that go and whatever desire you have go and pray know it for certain it is not mere eulogy there is a principle working behind it and it says that we need not be uh, ashamed of asking anything we really want open up your mind he is the only person to whom we can open up our mind if we have desires yes for the desires let us pray for him and then leave it to him he is the person who alone can be uh, what you say that we we have faith up we cannot be believed he is not going to do anything which will harm me he knows my mind and then he will direct my life as per my desires my inclinations my tendencies in such a way that ultimately it will lead to my spiritual uh, evolution so after saying this now we will proceed to the next mantra which is the first mantra of the concluding chapter of mundaka upanishad the first mantra here now it is speaking that the one who has desire if he goes and asks for the desires it will be fulfilled it was mentioned in the last mantra this mantra they say but if you have no desires you are a real true seeker you are a true seeker and you find that it is by your own effort you cannot think of spiritual evolution liberation emancipation go and pray to a realized soul he can just by his mere wish by his blessing he can help you to transcend the cycle of birth and death means you can liberate you you can take him beyond the cycle of birth and death and grant you liberation so what a grand mantra the the, the the concept of blessing many say in the upanishad the concept of blessing is not there kripa is not there it's all purushakar just see how nicely the concept of this kripa the blessing has been synthesized with purushakar so what's the first mantra of the second chapter of the third part of kundakupanishad saveda etat paramam ब्रह्मधाम 
यत्र विश्वं निहितं भाति शुभ्रम उपासते पुरुषं ये ही अकामा दिस वर्ड इज वेरी इंपॉर्टेंट अकामा द वन फ्रॉम हुम ऑल द काम डिजास्टर्स फॉलन ऑफ सच ए पर्सन वेन हू इज डूइंग उपासन उपासते पुरुषं इज गोइंग इज अप्रोचिंग ए रियलाइज सोल एंड ही इज वर्शिपिंग हिम what can then have what what is going to take what is going to materialize te shukram etat ativartante dhira so we can transcend the seed of birth the seed of birth can be transcended means you need not again come back to the cycle of birth and death you can transcend that so who he the knower of the self sir veda sir the knower of the self what who is the knower of the self the one who knows that the supreme abode of brahman the one who has realized the supreme brahman sir veda etat paramam brahmadhama the one who has realized it is no more a conceptual knowledge is the one who has realized and after realizing what has happened he is not only merged in that when he comes back from his deep state of samadhi he comes back he sees it is he and he alone who has become the entire universe yatra vishvam nihitam bhati shubram so he is he is shining brightly he is the ultimate source of all illumination and in him the entire universe rests yatra Vishwam Nihitam, from him the universe is projected. So he sees not this multifarious world of name and form. He sees the Brahman and Brahman alone. With closed eyes, he realizes Brahman. With open eyes, he sees the same Brahman. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, "Don't seek God, see Him." Just to. we think that god is something apart from this universe we close our eyes that this god is not here what i see i have to close my eyes i have to cut my senses from this world to realize god who is apart from this world so that is the seeking swami ji is saying don't seek god see him it is he who has become this universe with your eyes open you see him everywhere so the one who has actually got established in the knowledge of brahman so he sees brahman and brahman alone swami turiyananda one of the direct disciples of ramakrishna he was a staunch vedantin throughout his life constantly he used to discriminate do the vichara what brahma satya jagan mithya Brahman alone is the truth. This world is illusory. Such a staunch adherent of Vedanta, of the Advaitic knowledge, he in his deathbed suddenly started saying something very significant. Throughout his life, he used to say Brahma Satya Jagat Mithya. In his deathbed, he started saying Brahma Satya Jagat Satya. Jagat is not Mithya. Brahma Satya. जगत सत्य 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 निहित मीन्स द वर्ल्ड एज वर्ल्ड इज नॉट ट्रू वेन इफ आई से जगत मिथ्याइम्स वी मे समन मे जस्ट थिंक दैट इट इज समथिंग इमेजिनरी जस्ट विथ माई क्लोज आईज आई कैन इमेजिन एनीथिंग आई कैन इमेजिन दैट देर इज ए लोटस हेज ब्लूम्ड इन द स्काई इज इट एवर पॉसिबल एवर पॉसिबल so this is alika it is not possible i can i can imagine something which is not possible my thought can never resemble the fact so when i say jagat is mithya most of us may think it is imagine it is not imaginary it is something is there which is appearing as the world so that's why in the last moment he is saying that brahma satya jagat satya the world is also true it is not false just like uh, a palace in the sky it is not false that way something is there which is appearing as this world 
So Shatya, Shatya, Pratishthita. Shatya, Shatya, Nihita. So that's what is being indicated by the word Vishwang Nihitang. In him, the entire world is, uh, what do you say, superimposed. The world is a projection of that ultimate reality. The one who has realized that, when you approach such a realized soul, Upasate, such a realized soul, Purushang, when you worship such a person, without any so-called this trivial desires, Upasate Purushang Yehi Akama, freed from all desires, only spiritual liberation alone is your goal. Then know it for certain, he can grant it. Te shukram etat ativartanti dhira. So, when without any desires, you approach a realized soul and pray for your spiritual evolution, he can help you to transcend the cycle of birth and death. So, akama is free from desires. What are the desires? There are the three asanas. Basically, there are three desires. All the desires at last can be boiled down to three. What are they? Putraishana, Vittaishana, Yashaishana. Putraishana. That as I take this limited existence to be the only reality, I want to sustain it. For that, Vitta is required wealth. And with all my wealth, I cannot live for eternity. So I want to live through my progenies. That's why Putraishana and Yashishana. Yashishana also has to speak, speaks of this, this inflating your ego of this limited individuality. So one who has gone beyond this idea that he is not this limited personality, he is one with the Brahman. The Ashanas are something has to be relinquished. If I want to be established in the self, all the desires has to be relinquished. So the one who has relinquished the desire. So he even approaches the one who has realized what he has realized, that the one in whom the entire existence is being superimposed. So here again, a very interesting thing that in Upanishad, they say the entire world is actually a projection of the self. So now the question comes, the one who, the, if the world is a projection of the self, then how come the self can remain untarnished? If something is, has been projected, if that is that projected thing is tarnished, its cause should be tarnished. The, all the evils of life should touch him. So that's why the word Shubhram has been used. That though the entire world is a projection of that ultimate reality, it is in no way affected by it. Because it's a mere projection. Just the way the huge reservoir when you see in the mirage doesn't have the capacity to drench even a single sand particle of the desert. This is a mere projection. The snake which you see in the rope that snake doesn't have the capacity to inflict poison in the rope because it's a mere projection. So though this world has as if being projected from that absolute reality, but that reality can in no way be tarnished, be affected. It is Shubhram. Whatever we see as the projection in no way it can be because it is something, a superimposition. It is not Parinama. It's not like milk becoming yogurt. It is this adhyarupa. These are the terms, superimposition. So that way, there's no question of tarnishing. So one who has realized that when you approach such a person, then the one who is the knower of Brahman, he has himself become Brahman. So this is the only knowledge where you, when you become established in it, you become it. The one who is the knower of Brahman is himself Brahman. Knowing is becoming. So when you approach such a person who is established in Brahman, know it for certain, te shukram etat ativartante dhira. 
you can go beyond all the these cycles of birth and death. You can attain liberation. He can grant you spiritual liberation. We find the same idea even in the Narada Bhakti Sutra. There is a very nice sutra. Mahat Sangastu Durlabha Agamya Amoghascha. That Mahat Sangha is something Durlabha, is not easy to attend. Why it is not easy to attend? It is Durlabha. Mahat Sangha Durlabha. It is not, it is very difficult to attend because the realized soul are rare. It's not that you get in the marketplace a realized soul. It's very rare. The Durlabha. And next is Agamya. He's very, he, he, it is not, really not very easy to attend and you cannot even understand him. Means even it's something very rare and that rare thing is some sitting near you but you as you have not evolved spiritually you cannot relate. As we will find that uh, uh, many used to visit Udbodhan where Holy Mother stayed and there Sharath Maharaj was there. Swami Sharadananda as the general secretary. He used to stay there. And they will go and ask, say Sharath Maharaj, that we have came here to do Sadhu Sangha for Holy Company. And Sharath Maharaj used to say a very interesting thing. Do you think just by sitting near the Sadhu, you do Sadhu Sangha? And then he used to give a nice example. Ramakrishna, when he was in Dakshineshwar temple, the other priests, the, all the priest officials, they thought him to be a mad person. They were with him for years together without gaining spiritually because they never realized that he is a rare treasure. So that's why his Durlabha and then again his Agamya. That as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that what do you think? That a Paramahansa will grow two horns? That by some external sign I can recognize him? No. He looks like any other ordinary person. His orientation, his mental orientation has changed. His way at looking at the world has changed. Outwardly, he looks like any other ordinary human being. So that's why he's agamya. But somehow, you have reached a rare soul and you have understood, realized that he is a man of realization. And then you seek his blessing and he blesses you. Then again, he's saying then, the result is something which is never failing. So the company of holy person is difficult to attend because of rarity. It is very difficult to understand because we cannot easily relate. But once we relate, once we are near him and we seek his blessing, the blessing is amogha. It never fails. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, when Girish Ghosh prayed to Ramakrishna, that will nothing happen to me? Ramakrishna used to say, you rascal, do you think an ordinary snake has bitten you? An ordinary snake which has no venom, which has no poison. It has bitten you and nothing is going to happen. It's a deadly cobra which has bitten you. Now you may run anywhere. You may go to the top of the mountain thinking that I have to be away from this deadly snake. So I run. It has already bitten you. Now you run away from it. You may go to the top of the Himalayas. You may go to the bottom of the ocean to be away from it. But do you think you can save yourself? The poison has started acting on you. So here also the blessing has started once you are in his presence and he has blessed. Know it for certain that his blessing is amogha. It is unfailing. It is bound to ill result. And that's why the next sutra in Narada Bhakti Sutra is Labhyate tat kripayeva. It can be attained, obtained by His grace alone. So that's why this, what the, this mantra actually is indicating that if you really want, if you really have the desire, it has to be fulfilled. In this world, whatever desire you have, any intense desire, the plan of the universe is such that if you have any intense desire, it is bound to be fulfilled today or tomorrow. As in the Bible, it has been mentioned, knock and the door will be opened. You have to knock. So going to the realized soul and praying is like knocking. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, when the flower blooms, the bee comes. 
a very significant word. When the flower blooms, there has to be a realized soul in whom the spirituality has already bloomed. And it's not that that uh, any that when a flower has bloomed, all the insects, any other insects get attracted. It is the bee, particularly the bee. The bee has the capacity to sense the bloomed flower, wherever it may be. It doesn't need GPS. It will be drawn towards it. So there's two things that there, a, there should be a realized soul, a proper guru, and there should be a proper seeker. The seeker is like the spiritual bee in whom that real yearning has developed. It's not like those priests of Dakshineshwar who were in the presence of Ramakrishna. Nothing happened. So that real yearning should develop. He should approach and ask and pray. When a realized soul meets a real aspirant, the result is amogha. It is unfailing. It is bound to happen. And that's the thing which is being indicated in the very first mantra. That forget about all the desires. When you are in the presence of the Ganges, one who is in the vicinity of the Ganges, he's a fool who digs a well in the bank of the Ganges. The one who can give you the ultimate fulfillment. Why go to approach him for small petty desires? He can fulfill, but why? He's a fool. Does anyone dig a well on the side of the Ganges? So after saying that in the last mantra, here it starts with that, that as you have approached the Ganges, get merged in it, be in it. And for that you pray, don't, when the source of this pure eternal water is there, why are you digging a well, shallow well here? Just go and become a part of it. So that's the message which is being given in the very first mantra. And with the next mantra will be just, uh, as a conclusion of these two mantras, that Kamanya Kamayate, the second mantra of the second chapter of the third part of Mundakupanishad, it is a conclusion, it is something as a drawing, as a conclusion of what has been discussed in the previous two mantras. Kamanya Kamayate Manyamana, Sa Kamar Vijayate Tatra Tatra. So he who is cherishing objects, desiring, desires them, is born again and again here through his desires. Paryapta kamasya kritatmanastu ihaiva sarve praviliyanti kama. But for him whose desires has been satisfied, when you realize the self, all of the desires falls off. And one who is established in the self, all desires vanish even when he is on this earth. Ihaiva sarve praviliyanti kama. As has been spoken of in some other Upanishad, Vidyate Ridhaya Granti, Chidyante Sarva Sanshaya, Kshiyante Chasya Karmani, Tasmin Drishte Paravari. When you have realized the ultimate reality, what happens? Vidyate Ridhaya Granti. In this Upanishad only, previously we have studied that all the, uh, I, sorry, we are going to study this mantra. This all the knots of the heart will cut asunder, Vidyate Ridhaya Granti, and all your doubts will vanish. That knowing this and that realization alone is knowledge. When you have realized something, there cannot be any doubt. One who has seen the ocean, there cannot be doubt of the existence of the ocean. One who has read about the ocean in the book of geography and is yet to see the ocean, he can doubt the existence of ocean. But when you have seen, there's no question of doubting the existence of the ocean. So knowing is believing. Once you know, then only you can believe, not before that. So they become the man of conviction, where all the desires fall off. All the results of karma, which has accrued, they fall off, not to, uh, not to be accrued anymore. Tasmin drishte paravai, the one who has seen the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality, which is finding expression as the universe, the one who has realized him, for him, this, there is no more birth. He transcends the cycle of birth and death. All the desires fall off. So this is the thing which is as a conclusion we meant, is mentioned in the second mantra. If you have desires, you have to go through this cycle of birth and death. Go beyond the desires and then, then you can attain that ultimate fulfillment 
as the your ultimate fulfillment by being established in the self and you transcend the cycle of birth and death. So that's being as a summary of the previous two mantras is being spoken of in this second mantra. So with this, we <coughs> conclude our discussion, stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar. The few more mantras with which this chapter will be concluded, we will take up again in the succeeding classes. Thank you all. Namaskar.